Let me ask you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I have told you uh, about uh, reading the biography Bonhoeffer, uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he was a Lutheran pastor who stood in opposition to Adolf Hitler and uh, ultimately was executed for that. Well, one of uh, uh, the people in his life that had a profound influence upon him was Helmuth von Mulkey. Uh, I read more about him this week in a, a book by Phil Riken. Uh, von Mulkey was drafted into counterintelligence uh, in Nazi Germany, but his Christian faith uh, demanded, in his view, that he stand in opposition to what was going on. But his view was he could only stand in opposition in a nonviolent way. And that's where he and uh, Bonhoeffer uh, and perhaps some others might have had a, a difference in terms of interpretation. Ultimately, von Malky was tried, and when he was tried, the, the judge went into a, a tirade and, uh, against his Christian faith. Valmonki stated this, only in one respect does the national socialism resemble Christianity. We demand the whole man. Then the judge uh, was forcing him to declare his loyalty. He said, from whom do you take your order? From the other world or from Adolf Hitler? Where lies your loyalty and your faith? We're going to come back to this account in a few moments. For now, our, our passage that's before us today takes an interesting twist as we have gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it seems to introduce a completely new subject. And I want you to uh, follow along in Ecclesiastes 8. It says, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is uh, done under the sun. When man had power 
over man to his hurt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, again, at first reading, one would wonder, where, where does this apply in my life, whatever I'm facing? Will you in these moments show us, apply it, teach us, give us ears to hear? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, we have used this phrase, life under the sun. And to a great degree, that's what we see in uh, this book, is how one survives life under the sun. In other words, here on this earth, how are we going to get through this? We are living in a fallen world. There are difficult things in this world, and it seems almost as if he jumps and introduces a new subject, and it's about the king. Now, if you have watched the news at all this week, you know what's all over the news. What's going on with our government? And, you know, we wonder. We don't know. We don't know what, what that future brings. This uh, last song that we just sang says, What boundless love, what fathomless grace you have shown us, O God of compassion. Each day we live an offering of praise as we show to the world your compassion. In other words, when we live our life in the light of Christ, we are showing the world something. It's either something very wonderful, and that is, is uh, Christ himself, or we're showing the world we're no different from them. And so I would ask you up front as we go through this and we think about the government, and we think about what's going on, and then we uh, reflect on what God's Word says here, ask you to ask yourself, is my attitude toward this, toward the king, toward the president, toward those in authority over me? And by the way, you have the president, but if you work, you probably also have a boss. If you're in school, you have teachers, professors, and so on, those in authority over you. What does my attitude toward those who have authority over me show this world? Does it show them that I'm simply no different than them? I, I talk about those the same way they do? Or because you are in Christ, does it show them something different? Now let's take a look at uh, what we see here, and we're going to, you know take a rope and tie it to this and to the New Testament perspective as well that I believe affirms this. Uh, the first thing we see is uh, the preacher talks about submitting to authority. Uh, verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, that's a little bit of a strange turn of the phrase, God's oath to him. Uh, I think it's more generic than just his oath to each and every individual king, but the truth is, if we believe the Scripture, 
that kings and princes are only in their place because God put them there. For better or for worse. Remember the context of this and as we get to the New Testament, what kind of government they were under when these things were instructed. So verse 3 then begins to talk about what it looks like. Do not... uh, Be not hasty, rather, to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Now, in Solomon's day, an audience with the king was a matter of life or death. How you acted in front of that king could determine whether you continue to be allowed to live or whether you're executed. So a hasty departure from the king's presence was really a sign of disrespect. In other words, if you're talking with the king, you you get an audience to the king, the king calls you in, and you are speaking with him, and you turn and walk away. You see, turn your back on the king. How serious that was. It's turning your back on authority. Now, I want you to notice, though, he doesn't say there's never a time to do that. He says don't be hasty in doing it. Now, we've got to be careful in terms of determining when the time is. We're going to see other scripture that tells us if there is a time. But uh, he's saying, look, take this seriously. This is something we need to know about and understand that there are authorities in this world. Um, why is that? Look at verse 4 and 5. Uh, it talks about a recognition of his authority. For the word of the king is supreme. Who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and just way. Now, the latter part of this Um, where it says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. The wise heart will uh, know the proper time and the just way. I would put this in the category like in the book of Proverbs, where what we see is that this is not an absolute promise. In other words, uh, you know, we can all think of exceptions to this principle. We can all think of someone who was obedient to the king or those in authority, and it didn't go well for them. It was difficult for them. I mean, the the examples I gave you earlier. um, So this is a general way of living. If you live that way, uh, you obey the law. Typically, generally, ordinarily, you'll be okay. Now, let's go to the New Testament and get the New Testament perspective on this. Specifically, I want us to look at at what Jesus says about those in authority, about the government, and then what Paul says. Probably the classic place where we see uh, Jesus tested, um, and you can see it in other Gospels, but in Mark 12, 15 to 17, uh, most of you are going to be familiar with uh, this account. Here's what happens. 
is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You would like another answer to this, some of you. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 15 again says, But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a denarius. Whose portrait is, is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So Jesus gets a, a, a denarius, small silver coin. Uh, that would, it would be average uh, a day's labor in, at that time. So that gives you an idea. It was also an amount for a, a poll tax. Uh, the question is given to him. And on this coin, on one side was the picture of the ruling emperor, Tiberius, with the inscription. This was uh, uh, in Latin, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. You get it? Emperor worship, calling him divine, calling him God. On the other side, Pontiff Maxim, the highest priest. Now, think about Jesus' answer to this. His view, as we see from the rest of the New Testament, was paying the taxes, was paying for the privileges of a relatively orderly society police protection, good roads, courts, all of those things that one enjoys. And that's what was going on in the Roman Empire at that time. It was corrupt. But there were things that actually were a blessing to Christianity and to the spread of Christianity. Overall, the Roman Empire brought peace and tranquility. We read over in 1 Timothy 2, pray for kings and for all those in authority, and here's why, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. See, that should be our goal. Peaceful, quiet lives, all godliness and holiness. In other words, it doesn't say, pray that you will prosper under this government, but that you'll be able to go about the Lord's work. By the way, don't, don't forget that first part. Uh, pray for kings and those in authority. You praying for our president? I pray for him every single day. I pray for every president that is serving every single day. The way I remember to pray for this president is I have a button that is stuck to one of my bookshelves and it says, Obama for President 08. <laughs> if you think that hasn't caused some discussion of... Uh, <laughs> that was given to me by somebody. And I thought, well, that will remind me every single day. And so I stick it up there. It's right in my sight line, so I see it. So I remember to pray for my president. I want him to have wisdom from God. Don't you? 
This is not a political thing. This is a, a, a command from Scripture. And so we are to do that. Then back to Jesus. He gives this qualified yes. Uh, the emperor should receive only his due. In other words, give to him what is his due. But he can't receive the divine honor that the coin says because it's not his due. And Jesus answered that as well. That's the claim to be God. That must be refused because that belongs only to the true and living God. Here's Jesus' point. The coin belongs to the one whose image is on it. Now back to us. Remember whose image is stamped on you. Remember who you belong to in all areas of your life. Now, don't get the wrong impression that Jesus is saying these are two uh, equal powers or two spheres. God is over one and the government's over the other. So, should we do this only for a righteous government? In other words, should we only pay taxes, uh, you know, if they're doing with our money what we approve of? Well, the answer has to be no. Because that wasn't the case here. The Roman government was corrupt, idolatrous, promoted abortion, promoted infanticide, they were aggressively expanding their empire. And yet, in all, with all of this, Jesus tells them, you pay your taxes. Again, we'll see why in a moment. But we see also that Paul supports that very same thing over in Romans 13. I'll not read, but in, in verses 1 through 6, we, we see... Uh, Paul talking about that same government. He emphasizes the government is God's. You know, just verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, submit to them. For there's no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. The next verse talks about this is what God has appointed. Uh, verse 4 says, for he is God's servant, speaking of the ruler, for your good. And then later, it talks about him as a servant of God. Verse 6 talks about, uh, for authorities are ministers of God. I know what you're thinking, some of you. Well, if our government had any sense and any decency, uh, or if they employed Christian principles, then... I would submit joyfully. Well, that's the point. That's why Scripture talks about it right at this point. You know what? If they had decency and applied Christian principles and uh, uh, you know, did all the things that we want them to, then we would be submitting out of selfish interest. But instead, we walk by faith, relying on God's grace to properly submit 
with the right attitude. That's where the test comes. It doesn't come when they're doing what we want them to. The test for the early Christians was because they were under this oppressive, persecuting government. And yet, they were told to submit. Now, there are limits of submission. Verse 6, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. That reminds us of back in chapter uh, 3 of Ecclesiastes. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. When we are in ethical dilemmas, we understand the limits of our earthly knowledge. So at what point should we as people who are following Christ not submit? Is there a point? Let me give you two examples, one Old Testament and one New. Daniel 3, uh, you don't need to turn to it, you can later, but we see him, uh, un- them under ungodly rule, but what do they do? They respond in a, in a righteous way. Our, our temptation is to rebel in an unrighteous way. We see instead in Daniel 3, Daniel's friends rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar when he commanded all his subjects to worship him. They simply refused. But in so doing, because they can't, they couldn't worship the king. That was directly against what God had told them. And yet, in so doing, they fought evil with godliness. Then we, we go to the New Testament in Acts 5. You see Peter and the apostles. They are told, You cannot preach the gospel directly against what God had called them to do, what was clear to them that they were to do. It wasn't just that the government was doing wrong things, but the government was trying to force them to do something against what God said, and that's where they said, we must obey God rather than men. Now, we do need to note this. That in both of these cases, in, in instances in the scripture, where one does not submit, in other words, where they have to, uh, uh, so to speak, rebel against what the government is commanding, they also were willing to take the consequences. They understood there were human consequences to that, and they submitted to those consequences. Now, that leads us to the, the problem of our limits, uh, verse 7, uh, especially verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Now, here is the above-the-sun perspective. No man has that power. And then verse 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man uh, to his hurt. In other words, Solomon is saying, look, I've seen a time where one man who had power over the other was hurtful to that one. And he said, that's when I've observed these things. It's not when, you know, I haven't said submit to the king when the king is a good guy 
and there's, there's no danger in it, but submit even when one has power over the other. And he uses the soldier to illustrate how none of us has power over the day of our death. In other words, at, at every point, there is one who is in charge. And who is that? We recognize that it is God himself. And that includes our life and even the day of our death, as he brings right in here. Now, you can look at that two ways. If, you, if we understand that God has power over the day of our death, you can get depressed over that. That's a bummer. You know, six and a half years ago, it came home to me when I had a heart attack while jogging. And I realized I don't have power over the moment or the day of my death. Now, I lived, just for your information. But you know what it's done? Instead of getting depressed over it, instead of saying, oh, man, it's such a bummer. I've, you know, I, I've, I've jogged for 30 years and, it, you know, and all this stuff. Instead of getting depressed over it, it is freeing. It's freeing that he is in control of that. We can be relieved. Trust his sovereignty. That's a great relief when we know who's ultimately in control. And so, you know, you, you might say, well, why does he throw that in here? Well, because he's saying again, look, who's in control here? It's not that king even that thinks he's in control. You, may, you need to submit to him while you're here on this earth, but this is not forever. Now, why does he even talk about submission to authority here in the middle of Ecclesiastes? Well, I've told you this is survival under the sun. Over in Ephesians 5, it talks about how we are all to submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. And then it talked, you know, that's the umbrella. And then it talks about husbands and wives. And then it talks about uh, parents and their children. And then it talks about uh, slaves and their masters and so on out of a reverence for Christ. The bottom line is, it is submission to God's sovereignty. The wise way to live is by submitting to the sovereignty of God and trusting our lives, our body and our soul to the Lordship of Christ. I said while we're living under the sun, we're all in relationships of submission. Do you know what the ultimate act of submission was? It was shown to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate act of submission was the creator of the universe becoming man, and that in itself was submission. And then living under the law that he gave, fulfilling it perfectly, facing all of the difficulties and temptations of this life with the creatures that he created, and then going to the cross. That was the ultimate act of submission. And it was under unrighteousness here on this earth. But beyond that, 
it was pure righteousness because God the Father was in control. And it was from that act of submission that brought redemption for his people. Without it, we would have no salvation. To that we must cling. Back to Helmut von Malky. Although he was innocent of all charges, once he was arrested by the Nazis, he knew he was a dead man. In his last letter to his wife, he shared his own confidence in the goodness of God. He told his wife that the agony of parting, the terror of death, and the fear of hell had no power over him. See, that's a free man. The agony of parting, the terror of death, and the fear of hell power over him. You've been freed up by Christ. He said, I know that I am living only in his grace. And then he quoted from his favorite hymn, he for death is ready who living clings to thee. You see, that's the bottom line of submission. It's not just about some human government It's living a life of submission to the sovereignty of God in every relationship that we have. In that, there's freedom. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us words that apply so directly to us that have applied to those who have gone before us and those that will come after us. Will you help us, Lord, to live as your people in this foreign place? That our comforts would not be from this world, but from your sovereignty, and that this world is not all there is. We give you praise in Jesus' name.